Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing our Advent series this morning, and you can see on the stage uh, behind me that uh, we have we have some special things, but it's not for you. So, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you, but some of you probably looking at the at the risers behind me have, have had PTSD as parents. One of my um, one of my favorite things in my kids' growing up years has been. Uh, coming, going to uh, uh, pageants like this or plays like this that's going to be in second service. And you're welcome, by the way, uh, to hang around. And, uh, and you'll probably be standing room only because there's going to be a lot of parents and grandparents in second service. Uh, but watch the beginning of the play. My favorite thing uh, has been going to my kids' plays and not so much for watching them because I knew I was going to have one of them that was going to mess everything up. Uh, but looking around the room at the beginning and watching the parents fidget. And you have the drama moms, right, that, that are they're fluffing their kids. This is their, their big break. <laughs> this is going to be the beginning of a wonderful career. But those, especially those parents that look, I mean, they're flush and they're jittery and they're nervous because they know that their kid is going to be at least one of those kids that's going to ruin everything. They're going to pick their nose in the middle. They're going to turn around and start shaking like they're not supposed to be shaking. And that mom that's looking at their daughter, and it's like she is going to drop baby Jesus on his head, and everybody is going to know what bad parents we are. Uh, and I was one of those parents that was looking out because in, in everybody's minds, uh, Christmas, is supposed to be, Christmas is supposed to be perfect. It's supposed to, uh, we decorate and um, we do our houses and our trees and we dress up because Christmas is, is supposed to be the most holly jolly season of the year, right? It's, that's what it's supposed to be. And, it, and when we come to these plays and the kids are supposed to be, although we know they're not going to be, they're supposed to be perfect to emulate the joy that we expect to have in this season. And so before I go any further, I'm going to light the, uh, the candle that represents, that represents joy, and then I'm going to mess it all up as we go into the Christmas story. Because even though we expect joy, and we have that on the other side of the birth and, and the sacrifice of Jesus at the end of the story, but if you go back into the Christmas story, we've already seen so far, and you know you've read it, and we may press into it our expectations but the truth is, when you look at the Christmas story, uh, that wasn't their experience. Joy and elation and beautiful beauty and perfection and holly and jolly, fa la 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 wasn't what the participants, the actors, if you will, in the Christmas story, that wasn't what they experienced. In fact, you look back at the beginning. We'll just do a quick review. You look at Zechariah at the beginning of the book of Luke, the, the first actor that steps onto the stage of the Christmas story and hears about this great thing that's about to happen. This was a burnt-out preacher that was, that was nursing and at least hiding disappointment with God. Things hadn't gone the way he thought that they would go. I mean, he'd been following God his whole life, and he and his wife, but then they couldn't get pregnant, and there he is. He's just kind of going through the motions in the temple. You know anybody like that? And you have Mary, who's, uh, who's honestly too, too poor and too young to really know what's going on, and what we find is that the, uh, the news about Christmas wasn't well-received in her relational circle. 
Christmas turned her life upside down. Have you, have you ever known anybody, or maybe you've been that person that coming into Christmas, you're like, I'm really just not ready for this. <laughs> is that every Christmas? As wonderful as it, as it is, and we start singing the songs, then we look at our bank account, and we're like, I, I just don't know. Young parents, we're going to make this beautiful. This is going to be wonderful. I don't know how, because we don't have any money, and that's Mary. And then the, the focus of our story this morning will go back into uh, the, the shepherds. And we make, we make Luke chapter 2 into this glorious, beautiful, majestic. We romanticize the idea of shepherds, but the truth is those guys stunk. And if you think that they loved their job, these are third shift cattle ranchers. I mean, they're ranch hands. And this is in the middle of the night. They're wiping sleep out of their eyes. I grew up with a third shift worker who worked two jobs. And so I, it, 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 I, I got to go to work with my dad a couple of times uh, in, in my school years. And I don't know why he tortured me this way, but he said, I want you to come and see what I do. And I'm sure it was uh, to tell me that I needed to go get an education, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you do not want my life at three o'clock in the morning, but then all of a sudden the heavens open up. And we once again, we romanticize this picture as if this was the most beautiful thing that had ever happened. But if you look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8, I want you to catch their reaction. In fact, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you would slip up a hand, we're going to read for just a second. We've got a few verses that we're going to key in on. Slip up a hand, and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. And if you don't have a Bible in your home, or if you want another Bible in your home, we'd love for you to take this, this home with you. This will be our gift to you. jump into Luke chapter 2 verse 8 he says in in the the same region there were shepherds oh beautiful shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock and he says by night these are night shift workers and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord it says shone around them and they were what was, their, what was their, their emotional response? They were terrified. It says they were filled with great fear, not just fear. They weren't just startled. They had, to, they had to clean up after. These guys were scared out of their drawers. And the angel said to them, fear not. He commanded them, fear not, for behold, I bring you. This is, is going to be, pay attention to our pronouns here. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But it begins with you. For unto who? Unto who? Unto you. Thank you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to who? This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, there, there was with the angel a multitude, if it, if it could get any worse, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, the most significant thing about 
about the Christmas, the Christmas story is how insignificant the people and the places and the times really were. These were ordinary people, and it, it seems that God centered on these folks for a reason, but from a marketing standpoint, if you're looking to get the news about the coming of Jesus out into the world, God made a huge mistake, or at least he was wanting to communicate to us something, and maybe at the top, maybe that something that he wanted to communicate was that he, wouldn't, he didn't need great marketing techniques. He didn't need Facebook or social media. He didn't need a blast, and he didn't need people of great social consequence to get the word out but maybe more importantly than the fact that he didn't need our help that this would be all him or that that the news about the coming of jesus would spread no matter what against all odds uphill battle maybe more than that when you look at the at the ordinary lives and ordinary times the regularness of these people maybe he wanted to convince us most of us I don't know about you you may have a, a, an inflated ego but maybe he wanted to convince most of us that Christmas the coming of Jesus the presence of God is as much or more about regular people in regular times in regular seasons no matter how insignificant you might feel or think you are or maybe at least you know somebody who feels too ordinary for the presence of God. God wanted to convince us through them that Christmas is for us. That the coming of Jesus wasn't about people of influence, wealth, or position. But the good news is that the coming of Jesus right in the center not just of ordinary people i love that it's in the middle of a field in the middle of the night when they would least expect it that the coming of jesus the arrival of god and the availability of the presence of god in these stories isn't about sanctuaries as great as the experience of coming together and singing these luxurious songs and we have great worship but that where God really wants to meet us, where, we're, where God really wants to meet you, his focus, I've, I've, this has become a, a tag phrase for ministry for me, his focus is so much more about Monday than it is about Sunday. That until God re meets you in the regular places of your life, we'll dramatize it and say, well, this is, Mary was poor, and so God wants to meet us in our poverty, but it's the ordinary that God wants to invade and redeem the mundane. You look through Scripture that God, God made a, 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 He made the His greatest miracles in the middle of the mundane, turning the mundane into mighty things. Why? Well, this is back to the focus of, of Jesus. He doesn't need our help. That His arrival is the miracle. His presence is that most important thing and if you look at those parts of your life where you think ah god doesn't really want that god doesn't need that this this isn't a mountaintop momentous enough of a place or a thing the christmas story convinces me that that is the place that jesus wants most to show up to redeem that moment and that person 
All of us were that person at one time or another. And all of us sit at, a, sit at a table where there's someone who feels like they're too ordinary, too regular for God really to do anything great with them. Well, I was that person. Um, just by the way, this will be the, first, the last, not the first time, this will be the last time that I preach um, at Grace Monroe as the executive pastor for Grace Monroe. And so I've told through the, the past four and a half years uh, different parts of, of my story, but when I was reading... Uh, the ordinariness uh, of the these stories and and especially these shepherds I had to I've just keyed in on how they had to have it, 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 they were in their minds the least likely to be part of the Christmas story the least likely for God to descend and open up the heavens and say hey this is going to be you I'm inviting you to the table and I, I really was that guy um, when I was young, I've told different parts of this at different, uh, at different times. Um, I, was, I was a bad kid, did bad things. But um, in the middle of, of my story, I had, um, as, a, as a, a young child, I developed a really bad speech impediment. And I have a point to this. Just a terrible speech impediment. And um, I didn't know how that would affect the rest of my school years. In fact, I, I didn't know. That, that had affected my life in some really serious ways until um, years later, I was uh, the, uh, the lead pastor of a church in Fort Worth, and we were looking for a way to missionally affect the lives of uh, the, the school-age kids in an elementary school that was just a few doors down from us. And so as we were investigating ways that we could go in and do kingdom work, we keyed in on a literacy program. And on one... Um, uh, breakfast morning I think on Monday or Tuesday morning I had a guy come in to do some consultation with me um, for us to to key in on uh, the right program and the right age group for us to roll this literacy program out to and so as we're having this conversation I'm I've got my McMuffin in my mouth and uh, I said look uh, we're we're looking at we've got enough workers that we could do uh, literacy we could do um, reading training in every age group through this elementary school we've just got a ton of people and he stopped me and he said no 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 you don't you don't want to do that you want there's one age group descend on first grade is if you want to get the reading scores up in the school and if you want to change lives it's first grade that's the most important thing and as i'm eating my mcmuffin i look and i said why first grade and he said because if you come out of first grade unable to read or behind in reading you will never catch up because everything from then on is literacy based mathematics history english of course everything if you can't read you're going to fall behind and that's how this is in the in statewide in the state of texas at least that's one of the key markers in in, in how how many in the capacity of our prisons As he's talking, a piece to the puzzle of my life fell into place, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not embarrassed about emotions, but tears started coming down my cheeks, and I was like, and he says, what, what's your emotional response there? Is that compassion? I said, no, this is drama, man. I said, in first grade, I had this terrible speech impediment, and in reading class, they pulled they pulled the, the speech kids out of reading at the beginning of reading class and put, this is going to horrify some of you, 
and put us in in speech class. So you had the kids that, that for me, I had a, had a, a really bad lisp. Uh, and you see, you see how I didn't lisp whenever I said lisp. I had a really bad lisp, and then you had the kids with the R's and the stutter, and we were all great friends. Uh, and so from in reading class, I learned to read all the words with S's, but really nothing else. I could say Sally, I could read Sally Sells Seashells on the Seashore all day long, but then they would dump us back into reading class after the kids would have the whole period to do practice reading, to get their, to get their rhythms down and everything. They would dump us back in the last 10 or 15 minutes, and then they would say, okay, you're going to do this paragraph, or this is your part in the little play, and I can name the emotions that I felt. Horror. Reading for me from that point on was, was traumatic. It was scary. I shut down, and I really just couldn't make it through the words. And so what did I do? From that point on, I'd kick a chair over, pull somebody's hair, steal something out of somebody's uh, satchel, and then they would kick me out of class or stick me in, in the hallway. And then from then on, I have these stories about teachers saying, look, he's failing every, every class so we're going to give him to you for th next year for third grade to repeat. And, the, and literally in my hearing, teachers saying, there is no way I'm taking that kid. Pass him on. And so I made it to eighth grade with, with, with remedial, uh, functionally illiterate, okay, a horrible record, already had a stack of, of charges against me, spent a lot of weekends and evenings in police stations for them taking me back to my parents. There's so many stories of how uh, my inability to read and, and the trauma and the anger that I felt in my heart translated into just horrible behavior until the part of the story that I've told many of you, uh, I just did this really, really bad thing and found myself in front of a judge. And my parents, on the weekend that uh, this judge was going to decide the, what was going to be the, the next few years of my life, they were, uh, they were trying to decide whether to put me in a juvenile facility or a boy's home. They were, they were pretty well settled in taking me out of my home. Uh, my mom reached out to a church that we had visited sometimes. We weren't really church-going kinds of people, not regularly, didn't have a community of faith. Mom reached out, and there was a young... Uh, inexperienced pretty dumb youth minister that came and sat beside me and the important thing in this was came into my hearing sat beside me and said I don't think anyone has loved you look I know you're scared you know how dumb I was I know you're alone if you'll let me I'll walk with you no matter what happens I'll walk with you he stood stood for me at the, at the hearing, convinced the judge to, to give me probation and have me pay back for my crimes. Um, and the important thing for me was uh, he was one of the people that on my two-year criminal probation that I, was, that I was allowed to spend time with. And so from that day on, uh, I, I was either at work, at home, or at the church. And I've been in a church office ever since. But the really important thing was he took me to Wendy's couple of days later started picking me up from school every day took me to Wendy's and slid a Bible across the table from me he said all right I want us to read together and I, and I had to admit I didn't have a chair to kick over and know he was way too big for me to pull his hair I had to admit I just I mean I can I can read but 
I'm, I'm just, I am the dumbest person that you're ever going to meet. He says, now we're going to do this together. And you can almost see the ball hopping across the page of the book of Luke or the book of Mark and then the book of Ephesians and then the, that ball moving slowly, struggling, moving faster and faster. And what amazed me no one has ever wanted to meet me. No one. Teachers wanted to get rid of me. Coaches trying to get me out. Parents didn't know what to do with me. The creator of the universe inviting me. I think that was the experience that the shepherds had. Like, if you were to write a template for where God is, where Jesus, the Messiah, is going to descend, that field at that hour of night to those people was the last place on earth that God was going to open the heavens and that He was going to descend and do this great thing. And perhaps there's a place in your heart today that you're thinking that's the last place, or maybe you're thinking. You're the last person. But you get caught up into this experience with the shepherds and realize that you are exactly the person that God wants. No matter who you are, in that place that's the most ordinary and unredeemable, that's the place that Jesus most wants to arrive. Says this is good news for all people. But I want to take us back to the pronouns. This is good news for all people. But in it, you feel the 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 strategy, the the uh, intentionality of the angels. This is good news for all people. But this is good news. The shepherds would have to internalize it. This is good news for you. What do you say? Good news of great joy? And that's, there seems to be a command there or an invitation one way or another that what, the, what God is offering to us is joy. But I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes in talking about what is the source of that joy. Obviously, the, uh, the, the uh, host of angels comes down and opens up the heavens and there's this sense of joy. The shepherd's response is that they, they make haste and they run after the presence of Jesus, and I think there is the key. That the source of our joy is in the availability of this creator, the creator of the universe. Because there's literally billions of people in the world today and have always been that their picture of God, and I think this is a fallen sinful nature, that if there is a creator, and I'm not saying that I don't believe there's a creator, but if there were a creator, if you listen to, to almost any thinker and anyone who doesn't have the concept of Jesus and, and his availability, that there's something in our human nature that believes even if there is a creator, certainly he's not personal and he's not available. Like the present, I think this is the hallmark, should be, the hallmark of the Christian faith. This is what sets us apart from 
atheists, agnostics, deists, from every other subset uh, of any sort of supernatural or non-supernatural believing kind of person in the world. The people that, that make up the cubicle or, uh, or the car that you're driving out in for work, your next door neighbors, people struggle with, and I think because of our sinful nature, struggle with the idea that if there is a God, certainly he's not available to me. He's not universally or personally available, and his presence isn't like with me. It's insane. If there is a God, he's in the heavens. He's somewhere else. If he's available to anyone, it's uh, people in high places or temples or in sanctimonious kinds of atmospheres. He's not available to me. We go back to that phrase. In verse 11, for unto you. And he says, this day, I tell you, they, I, if, I was, if I was there saying that, uh, it's not day. It's night. <laughs> it's in the middle of the night. Unto you is born this day. In the city of David, Christ the Lord, that the creator of the universe is not yours as in ownership, but yours as in availability. And until the unto you is processed in a way that we really grasp the moment by moment availability of Jesus in our lives. It's, this is what in the theological world for years they've called practicing the presence of God. In the most mundane, ordinary parts of our lives outside of the sanctuary, and this should be the goal of everything that we do in this place. The songs that we sing, the sermons that we preach, the, the communion that we take, the stuff that we do is to press the reality of the presence of Jesus into our boardrooms, into our bedrooms, and into the most ordinary places of our lives. Because that is where Jesus wants to show up and redeem. He wants his presence to change those mundane moments into mighty things. Because of his presence and his availability. That's the source of joy. When we realize outside of the sanctuary, these people had spent their entire lives hearing if we could just get to the temple cut the neck of some animal, do something, ring some bell, light some incense, then we'll have some glimmer of the presence of God. And then we go home to our ordinary lives. Jesus, the story of the, of the birth of Jesus, flips that on its head from the beginning and says, this isn't about a sanctuary. It's not about a temple. It's not about a thing. God wants to redeem the ordinary parts of our lives and show up where we need him most and where we least expect him that's the source of joy and the cool thing about the source of joy is that that river runs can run the availability of the presence of god can run through every part of our lives i was looking out at some folks that i love every every hammer we swing piece of drywall we put up every <laughs> Every click, 
on the computer. Every kid that we want to very hour of night unto you. The beauty of the Christmas story is it is not unto them. We, he forces us as it was recorded. He forces us to read the words unto you was born this day unto you and you and you. And that is the beginning of the source of joy that it's only part of the story because the other message of the angels combats the temptation of every one of our hearts because when we say unto you is born this day the availability of the presence of God is immediately in every one of our hearts at some time maybe most of the time maybe for some of you all the time is met with the lie of Satan that the presence of God means judgment it means harm that when we think of the face of God I really want you to get this because if you get the first there'll be the beginning of joy oh I'm excited that God has invited me into his presence what is he going to do to me and you can lie all day long I, I look you can tell me your stories and sing your little songs but the bend of our fallen human nature from the beginning you go back to adam and eve they walked with god in the cool of the day then they sinned like you did yesterday i did then they sinned and then they hear god walking in the cool of the day and what did they feel exactly what the shepherds felt god opens up the heavens and they're terrified they're not excited they don't feel joy why? Because they have a lie that they believe in their hearts that the angels combat in the second message, the song that they sing. For unto you a child is born this day in the city of David. And then they say, angels come down. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest, and I've missed this for years. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst those with whom I want to dispel because I'm looking at some of your faces. You're like, he's pleased with some people, but he's probably not pleased with you. He's pleased with people who get their crap together. He's pleased with people who are polished and got their P's and Q's, have ticked all the boxes. He's pleased with them. I've always read that as a a small subset but then we read in the book of Romans for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all were deserving of something that he did not give where's, where's the source of joy the availability of God for unto you the greater source of joy is that as he opens up the availability of him he speaks against the lie in our hearts and gives us what we did not expect that's christmas i gotta be honest with you when you get that present that point in the christmas story because they're all liquor in not this christmas story but the christmas story on tv 
that point in the Christmas story when uh, they're kind of, they've got the wine and they're kind of liquored up. This is day drinking at its worst, or morning drinking at its worst. And uh, Ralphie thinks that, you know, he's given up all hope. And then all of a sudden, Dad gets up and he, he goes behind the tree and he pulls back. Red Rider beating up. This is a source of, and there's joy until he nearly shoots his eye out. There's joy. Not just the availability of God for unto you, but the combat to the lie in our hearts that he is displeased is met with the elation of God. That's not, to wipe, that's not to say that our sins don't matter. That's not to say that we are more than we really think we are. Oh, I must be, I must be this mighty person. No, God redeems in the ordinary places and he takes us as we are in the face of God when the heavens open up. He says, I am pleased. This is the same word that when Jesus was baptized, the uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends on, a, uh, on him as a dove and, he, and God, the heavens open up and God says, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well, what? Pleased. That is the story of the presence of Jesus that's been sung through the ages as God's spoken from the beginning against the lie in our hearts. Now really, if there's a verse that, that you would write down, you can write down Luke 2, but I want you to write down the prophecy in, in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Allie, write it, write it down. You don't have a pen. Okay, you got it. Number two. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, he says this. He said, God must be disappointed in me. He must be angry with me. He must be ready to judge me, toss me out, throw me out, be done with me. And in Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17, he says, and on that day, this day, today, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion. John chapter 4, perfect love casts out all fear. Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands hang limp that NIV says the Lord your God is in your midst this is the presence for unto you the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you this is God so we sing praises we sing our praise songs to God this is a praise song over us a mighty one he will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The joy of the Lord is the availability of the presence of Jesus for unto you. That is muted if we believe the presence of Jesus is met with judgment and disappointment and dissatisfaction against the lie of the devil that our father is done with us and says not just I'm not done but I adore you it's, it's exuberant I'm singing over you he dramatizes it he hammers it home in our lives and in our hearts so that our joy, he says, Jesus says later, 
be complete. This has always been the case. This is, until we get this, we'll always kind of look crooked at David. Always. What does he say? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. As a deer pants for the water, so my soul. You think David didn't have good night? We know David enough. We know that, that he had as much of a, of a cause to be afraid of the presence of God, but in his worst moments, in his most ordinary moments, where he felt the least worthy there, David said, as a deer pants, Precious are you than silver? Honey than life. Till this field in the middle of the night. Ordinary people. Like you and me. Probably didn't get that. And then they heard the words. Not unto them high places, important people, but unto you. In this place, Jesus is the vineyard, and there's more. God loves you. He adores you. He is grace word. This is a good word. He is amazing. Excited for you to be in his presence Great things, redemptive things. So we end with this, that uh, Christmas is about changing our expectations. It's a Christmas story. It's about turning it on its head and for us realizing that the availability of God transcending time the availability of the presence of God is not for someone else, some other time, for some great high place, but the availability of the presence of God is available right here. That's something that as we, as we land on Christmas, as we celebrate Christmas, should transcend Christmas. That this should be the great reminder if it's not new news for you. And if it is new news for you, this is brand new. That this is the beginning of a lifelong experience of the joy of the in Jesus in your real life. But if this isn't new news for you, if this is just a reminder of the old great news, that the lie of the devil has crept back in, that we have two sides of our lives. We can go and worship on Sundays and then we go to the real stuff. That God wants to invade the, the ordinary parts of our lives with every swing of the hammer and every boardroom and bedroom, every place on we would come celebrating the presence of God on Sunday. And that in those places, God is excited for you and he to spend time together and for him to rain down his dream of turning the mundane into mighty things. There's where redemption prayer is that for each and every one of us that we would be a 
sit, stand in awe of what you did that middle of the night experience with the shepherds separating you to that with us. Echo in our hearts places where we need you the most. Mean those ordinary moments. Those moments where we have no expectation of your presence 